We've all been hurt in some way, probably by people from the church, whether it's literally in the building or people that claim to be believers. And I have to remind myself that I might be someone else's church hurt too. And so like, I've got to get a little grace for that, that I might be on the other side of that. We have this opportunity to meet other people that are trying to do the same thing we are and grow towards the Lord and make Him known. And they're going to get it wrong. And absolutely, we're going to get it wrong. But at the end of the day, we've got to realize like the people of the church are not God. God is God. Welcome to Dreamers and Disciples today. We're excited to have Cynthia Yanoff on the show. She's the author of the brand new book, Life is Messy, God is Good. And Cynthia, I'm just so honored that you'd be here to share your story and to talk about the book. So welcome to the to the podcast today. Wade, thanks for having me here. I told you before we started recording that it's going to take everything in my power to not talk about your book <laughs> because it changed my whole perspective in the last six months. In the last year, other than the Bible, that's a book that's most impacted me. And so I'm just so thankful that we kind of oh, got wow. to make contact and um, and just for what the Lord's done in, in your words. So anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try to not fangirl over here, but I'm a huge <laughs> fan of of what you do. And that, that is so kind of you to say. And I'm excited. I got to go on your podcast, uh, Mesmerized. Yeah. Uh, to talk about the book, but now I'm excited to have you on this show to talk about your book. And I've had a chance to read it to everyone watching, and I love it. It's I was telling you, oh, Cynthia, thanks. before we we started as well, how you have such a gift of being able to use humor to, and it's a very funny book. Like I, I love how you. I feel like I got to have a front row seat to many amazing moments in your life story, <laughs> but how you're able to use that to actually convey some very deep and hard truths. Um, so the book is full of so much wisdom uh, mm-hmm. that's applicable to so many different life situations, whether you're a parent, whether you're raising kids, going through a foster journey wow. and adoption, um, friendships. There's so much that we could cover today. But before we get into that, I always ask people, what are you dreaming about right now? So what's, yeah. what's your current dream? Okay, so when 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 you told me that's your first question and I listened to some of your podcasts, I was like, wow, like there's so many, so many ways to go with this because like I could give the standard, like my church answer, I could give a lot of different answers. And I was really thinking out like, what am I dreaming of? And I think here's where I land on it. Yeah, I've been podcasting for a long time and I had a really large podcast that I left and went started a new one, Mesmerize, it's smaller. And I think what I'm dreaming of right now in this podcasting world that you're in, I'm in, that so many people are in, how do I mix, how would the Lord mix in a sense of humor, storytelling, which I think are some of my giftings with podcasting. And how what would that look like? Because I, I know you probably look at this too some way. When you look at like the top podcasts out there, like secular speaking, not Christian, like people are, they're listening to stories. They're driven yeah. by crime, really some really scary and sad stories <laughs> out there. And I'm like, why is this number one? Like, how can we get real life stories, but 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 mix God in these stories? And how do we get people interested in that? And what would that look like for me to have a different or unique take? Does that exist out there in the podcasting world? So that's kind of what I've been praying through and dreaming about. It's just that maybe the Holy Spirit would anoint that in a different way for me that um, I love what I'm doing, but how could that look different in the future? Well, you definitely have a gift for it in your book to to really share some brutal honesty in, in stories. Um, yeah. And like you said, you, you use humor a lot but you really embrace uh, the mess of life. You don't run from it. 
and, and I'm really curious because it's a theme in your podcast. It's a theme in your book. Why are you drawn to that? Why do you want to talk about the mess? Yeah, I think um, I think partially because I grew up in a really strong Christian home, so I, I really feel like I've had faith in my life since I can remember. And uh, I, at some point in my life, I realized like. I've been trying to clean it up and make it look a certain way because I thought faith was supposed to look a certain way. And so I'm like, okay, how do I clean it up? How do I make everything look like, you know, almost postable in my life? And I'm like, this can't be right. Like, like most of my life is messy. Most of our lives are hard and difficult and they are off script. And so where does God meet up in that? And I think for me, I started realizing like, Literally, if if our theology doesn't meet up with our reality, then it's really mm. not theology at the end of the day. It's just some good advice. And so how does my theology meet the reality of my life is messy? My mm. kids mess it up. I just taught a 16-year-old how to drive, and I nearly met Jesus. I've got a first <laughs> grader that um, still, still cannot read, and he repeated first grade. I mean, I'm doing all the things here, and I'm like— Okay, there's got I got to believe God's in the middle of all of that and he cares and that what I'm feeling and hearing and believing on Sunday morning is going to translate into Tuesday and carpool. And so how how does that relate? How does it correlate? And I think that's where I've tried to lean into that mess and be like, "Okay, Lord, like what does this what is this supposed to look like?" And so mm-hmm. I think that's it for me is just leaning into the mess because that's most of what my days and all of our days are. Yeah. And you say something in your book you said that God's favor doesn't look very favorable in the moment, mm-hmm. uh, that it looks different than your preferred definition of favor. And I think as I was going through your book, I was struck by the fact that often what we tend to label as mess, there's often a gift found in that mess. There's oft- mm-hmm. often evidence of God's favor um, can you ex- just expand a little bit on that thought uh, of how favor yeah. looks differently than we often want it to? Yeah, you know, um, let me, if I can, I'm just going to tell you a quick story. And and I have saw this this last year. I have a high school son that he was going into his sophomore year last year, and he's at a small private Christian school here in Dallas. And it was the year he's played football his whole life, and this was the year he was going to get to do Friday Night Lights. And so the Friday nights came along, right? And he's no longer on JV's varsity, and they came, and every Friday night we're there, and he's stretching and put me in coach, and he didn't go in, and he didn't go in, and he didn't go in week after week. And like, it got harder and harder, and you know, he was more and more disappointed. And frankly, we all were. We love our football coach in the program. But we were like, wow. And so at the end of the season, I mean, he played a tiny bit, but not really. And so they had this awards banquet. And wait, I mean, if you if you've been if you played football or been to any of these things, like there's nothing like the football awards banquet. I mean, it's hours of celebrating the same kids that have already been celebrated on the field. And and, and I don't knock that. They deserve it. I love that for them. But I'm like, oh man, really do we have to go and sit through this with our son who and so anyway, end of the end of the thing. They've celebrated everybody, and they the last award, they call it my son. And I'm like, you got the wrong guy, coach. Like, what are you possibly calling him up for? And and the coach starts talking about scout team, and he starts describing how the scout team is the team that gets, he's not saying this, I am, but the real team, ready for Friday night, right? So the scout team is the one that is taking all the hard hits. They're doing all the workouts. They're doing all the practices, but they they may not see the field on Friday night. And, and he went on to say that Brett was the MVP of the scout team. And I realized mm-hmm. in that moment, Wade, that he was taking a perceived failure and naming it a success. And I think that's what that's what kind of what we need to be about. I think that's what we lean into is there are places where it looks like a perceived failure. I think that's why your book spoke so deeply to me. I'm walking through places that feel like a perceived failure. 
And I've got to believe forward that the Lord can name those a success. And so how do we do that? How do we do that for yeah. ourselves? How do we do that for those around us? How do we do that for our kids? We need to be in the business of taking the hard places, taking those perceived failures and saying, no, today I name it a success because I know who God is. And I know He takes unfavorable situations and He can make them favorable and He will and He uses them. He uses all things for His good and, and His glory. And so I, I think that's where I shake out on it. I love that story. Um, I was probably the, first of all, I was never picked for any sport. So I don't even know what it's like to even get on the stage. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) Um, But how do you personally move your heart and your mind into making that transition from labeling it a failure to labeling it a success? Is that in retrospect? Or do you have any practices or things you've learned to help you get your heart there in the moment after that initial reaction? Because I think that initial disappointment is human. And Mm -hmm. to ever think we're going to move past that, just that's, that's an expectation that can lead to a lot of shame and guilt. But I think once you feel it, how do you label it differently? Right. I think I, I, like you said, I have to feel it. I have to feel the disappointment and, and I have to acknowledge it with the Lord. But then I also, in that moment, I go back to the places that I perceived as failures in the past and how the Lord used them. In my life, yes, in, in the life of my family, yes. Sometimes I borrow faith from other people. I've seen hmm. it in other people's lives. I've read it in books by people like Way Joy, places where it could have been a perceived failure, and, and the Lord turned that into something significant and meaningful. And so I have to go back to that. I always t- I love to, I'm sure you do too, I love to read about the Stones of Remembrance and the Israelites hmm. and, and how you know they, they, they would cross over dry land and they would build you know, a big altar so they wouldn't ever forget what the Lord had done. And hmm. I think I've spent some time in my life— um, one time in particular where I just knew the Lord literally was calling me to pick up some stones and I gathered some rocks and one for, you know, a, a job we desperately needed and one for when my husband survived something he probably shouldn't have lived through and, you know, stones for three healthy kids. Hmm. And in that moment, I feel like the Lord was saying, listen, like, I'm not a remove the hardship kind of God always, but I am a remember who I am kind of God. And and I think that's what I have to do is get back to those places of having a good memory of yeah. where He's done it in the past and that kind of propels me forward. But but yeah, acknowledge the heart. Like, I don't want to be Pollyanna about it. There's plenty of times where I'm throwing up my hands and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is, this is where this is going to land. <laughs> Actually, I love that you brought up that story because you mentioned it in the book about going down to the creek and, yeah. and building that monument out of stones. And how even when you went back later, the stones weren't there, but you still remembered that experience. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I saw something on Instagram recently. I think it was... Tiffany Hudson, a worship leader at Elevation, she was sharing something that her family does where they have what they call a manna jar. Tiffany, if you're watching or listening, Mm -hmm. this really inspired me. But throughout their life, uh, her parents have put different things in the jar to help them remember moments where God came through for them. And then once a year, they just pull it out and they talk about it as a family. So I, I love whether it looks like feeling a little awkward going down to a creek and building this monument of stones or having this jar that you just continually add to. I love having practices that help us remember what God has done for us. 
Um, so I think that's a beautiful practical thing. And if I can, one other thing that to consider in that is just practically for those listening. The other thing I do is I literally collect like stones. Um, I have a bunch of them around. This one says "Remember" different places, and I write dates on the back of them of things where I know the Lord showed up, or I know He spoke something mm. um, over our lives, or where He was faithful. And so I have like literally stones sitting on my desk that remind me of things. I also do calendar entries, like mm. you know, I, I have the date that my the judge ruled in favor of our son from foster care being adopted. And that shows up every year. You know, just these practical things around me, whether it's a calendar um, reminder, whether it's an actual stone or like in my house, like our little boy that we adopted, our youngest, like he is my living stone of remembrance. Like when Mm -hmm. he walks around, even when he drives me crazy and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, that's God's faithfulness walking through our living room. So just practical ways to do that. Thoughts on that too. Yeah, those are great. And let's let's talk about your fostering journey that led into your adoption uh, of your son. Uh, You talk about how hard that was. And I think it was one of your children who even said one time, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not right um, during that process. Can you walk through just the the pain of doing something that you knew was right, but you had no clue what the outcome was going to be? It was, and I have a lot of friends who are in this similar journey, so I know how messy it can be. For sure, for sure. It's interesting because I've always prayed over my family and my own life that that we would be the kind of people that could stand alone. I feel like in today's culture that you've got to be able to stand alone. And, and as much as I want my kids to have community and friends and all the things, I also want kids that can stand alone for their faith because they're going to have to at some point. And so during, as I pray through that, the Lord called us to stand alone. I'm like, oh, that's too bad. Like when you pray for something <laughs> that it actually happens, you're like, well, that's no good. And so my husband and I both like just felt like the Lord is calling us to foster care. Well, I literally Wade was like, mm, I don't know. That's like for different kind of people. Like, I'm not sure we're foster care kind of people. Like, we let our kids play select sports on Sundays and like we do all the things you're not <laughs> supposed to do. So I don't know. And so, but it was very evident. And and so we did. We started through the whole process of foster care. And it's interesting in that time of learning to do the thing God calls you to do. And it was the hardest thing to date that I've ever done as foster care. Just the attachment to this little boy, knowing what would happen if he was sent back to a situation that would not by anybody measure be in his best interest. Going through this, it also was a very legally complex case. And so my husband and I are both attorneys. I don't practice anymore. But it was just so interesting walking through this really, really hard road. And and I always say, I think my testimony has been through it, that, you know, I went into it scared of what it's going to do to our family, um, scared of, of what that would look like for us, like, you know, emotionally, financially, um, in our faith. What would that look like? And so I went into it scared, and I came out of it scared of who we'd be if we had not done it. And that's just the thing. That's how the Lord works. Like He changes you from the inside out when you do the things He calls you to do. And just because they're hard doesn't mean they're not right. That's literally out of the mouth of babes, one of my children, <laughs> older children, said during that. And I was like, yeah, that's right. And so we came out on the other side, different people, um, and so grateful, not not simply just because He added to our family. I mean, that was incredible. But um, we know Him differently because of it, and it's <laughs> just one of those things— um, there's, there's there's no way to really know God until you really have to watch Him show up or it's all going to fall apart. You also tell a beautiful story of the night before the court case mm. uh, when you're going to find out if if you get to keep your son or not. Yeah. And I think it's Pastor Pierre, is that right, yeah. came over to pray. Can you tell that story? Because I, I loved, it might be, there's two two favorite stories that we're going to get to from the book, and this is one of them. Oh wow! Well, I love that, and that 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 
it spoke to you as well. So yeah, Pastor Pierre is um, a pastor in a church that I have never attended. Our friends went to it. It's a small church in South Dallas. I live far North Dallas. Um, so I, I have no connection with him other than the fact our friends kind of went to a small 20-person church and they started praying over us during foster care. And this little church, this little body of believers prayed over us every week. It was the night before, like you said, the big hearing where the judge was going to make a decision on whether he stayed or he went back to his home. And CPS had told us he's going home. That's how the law works in Texas. He's going home. You need to have him packed and ready to go. And so we were praying against that. And and our friends called and said, hey, our Pastor Pierre wants to come pray for y'all. And I had never met him or anything. They're like, what do you think? I'm like, well, why not? I mean, what do we got to lose this point? But it's a couple weeks before Christmas and we have our daughter's choir concert, you know. So I'll never forget, like we get home, our friends are there with their kids. I'm standing there with our kids holding this baby. It's Christmas. You know how it is coming, just having come out of Christmas. All the decorations are Everything feels, looks like it's bright and happy and shiny, and everything in us is just full of dread and 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 sorrow. And and so Pastor Pierre's out front in front of our house, and you know he doesn't come in and doesn't come in and doesn't come in. And finally, he comes in, and we're like, okay, we introduce ourselves, and he says, um, you know, this has never happened to me before. But he said, I knew I was supposed to come to your house and pray for you tonight. So I sat in my car. I got there an hour before you got home. And I've been praying, and I wasn't coming in until the Lord told me why I was the one to be here. And he told me that he wanted me to let y'all know that this baby was created to be yours and that we don't need to come in with tears and praying over the site. And Lord, please do this. Please do this. It's already been done. And so tonight, we just celebrate what the Lord already did. And so I'm sitting there waiting. I'm like, okay, well, that's amazing. I have goosebumps, but I'm also slightly concerned that there's a doctrinal snafu that just happened that I'm never going to be able to explain to my kids. And like, what if he's wrong? What if the court calls? But I just knew, like the Lord just gave that mm-hmm. peace. And so, yeah, that's, um, he, he, the next day the court called and the CPS worker, the CPS called actually, and they said, you're not going to believe what just happened. And I was like, I bet I will believe it. And they're like, the court ruled in favor of y'all adopting him. And, and, you know, I guess I would just say this one thing, if I might, is just that, like, listen, uh, the Lord already was going to do what the Lord was going to do, but He gave us the bird's eye view the night before by saying, listen, I am not subject to courts and rulings and CPS cases and all those things. Like, I am God. And to get that perspective from another believer that cared enough to drive across town, people he didn't know, and it heard God's voice enough to be able to say, yeah, I know this is what he's saying. And he came in with confidence and spoke that over us. Like, I, I, I just don't know that, I, that I'll ever experience anything like that again. It was incredible. Yeah. I love that because I think hearing from God can be really messy. I, and you mentioned that in the book too, but I think you know, it can, there aren't always times in life. In fact, I would say the majority of my life, I'm not hearing this clear, thus saith the Lord moment. No. Um, but I want to create space regardless to hear from God, whether it's a shout or a whisper. And I think it's that discerning process where we have to wrestle with God that attunes our heart to actually work the muscle to where when he does want to speak loud and clear like that, we're ready. And so I love the fact, even the detail that that guy was like, he was sitting in his car waiting before he walked in Mm. because he really wanted to hear from God. And what would our day look like if we structured our day with that same expectation? Right. You mentioned him driving across town to meet with a family and pray with a family he had never met. I think that's also my other favorite story in the book is the story of Darren because he Mm. ran 
to a mess that he didn't have to run to. Can you walk through his story? Because I think it's really, really powerful. Yeah, yeah. So we have a good friend here in Dallas. He's a Secret Service agent, and I always laugh because, um, I, you know, how do you share? How do you swap stories with Secret Service agent? Right? Like he's all over the world, like defending presidents and doing all the things, um, dignitaries. And I'm like, yeah, I was at Carpley yesterday. Cool, good times. And so he's just the greatest guy, though. And um, he was, um, he was on 9/11. He was a survivor of 9/11, and he was meeting with the Secret Service that morning. They were um, uh, doing their usual work, whatever it was, in New York City. And he was a couple um, buildings over from the Trade Center. And he tells the story of how they were all in suits. They're not always in suits, but when when they're doing certain types of work, they are. So they were all in their business suits. And and then the first plane hit the tower. And he said they knew immediately. Um, they didn't know what hit it, and they didn't know what it was, but they knew it was probably terrorism. And so he ran out, and um, he and three other, four other guys started just going throughout the day. And just they evacuated people out of the first tower. And, and thankfully, he was able to get out. Then they um, went to the second tower. Tower and got some people out. And then after that, if the towers had collapsed, um, you know, just spent the day aiding. And, you know, he tells the story of at one point when um, there's little ancillary fires everywhere and people burned and he sees fire trucks everywhere. He's like, where are the firemen? And, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, we know now that many of them, most of them were in the buildings. And so he was just spent his day trying to help. And you can imagine at the end of the day, he goes back, the Secret Service sends word that everyone's congregating again at a certain place, a new location. And so you can imagine what he looks like, right? And so the soles of his shoes are like melted to his feet. He is bleeding. He has black soot all over him and his suit is ripped. And he gets back to where they're meeting and he walks into the room and he looks around and he sees many of the men he'd seen that morning and they were still sitting there in their clean, fresh suits. And and one of them says to him, where have you been? And Darren in his mind's like, no, where have you been? Hmm. Like, why are you still sitting here in a clean suit? And and Darren's whole testimony that has just like marked me and changed how I look at how I want to do life, his whole testimony is like, listen, I'm not going to go to heaven in a clean suit, not going to do it. Hmm. And so what is that going to look like to get out there and to get dirty and to do the things I'm called to do? And he said, yeah, I mean, very, very literally, getting dirty on 9-11, but he's just dedicated his life in raising his four sons in a way that they're willing to walk into it, walk into the mess, walk into the heart, go to the places that other people are trying to avoid, the parts of town that you been trying to shelter your kids from. Walk into that mess mm. because, you know, we just have this limited amount of time, Wade. And and so what are we going to do? How are we going to live our lives? And and what's it going to look like when we get to heaven? And so it's just such, it was such an inspiring story for me, just an inspiring guy. Um, but yes, I always think of that. Like, let's, let's, let's live with dirty suits. I want to let you know, if there's a dream in your heart that you want to step into, but maybe you're paralyzed because you're afraid you're going to fail, I want to invite you to download my free prayer guide called Discover God's dream for your life, 10 questions to clarify where God is leading and how to take the next step. And you can get that free download at wadejoy.com slash 10 questions. That's the number 10, wadejoy.com slash 10 questions. I, I just, I love the heart posture of being proactive and looking for the mess around you. It doesn't have to be this massive dramatic event, like you said, like 9-11, or you might not be called to foster care, but who is in your circle Mm -hmm. and how can you actually take a step today into someone else's mess? Um, I'm curious if you could give any uh, insight or direction for somebody who's like, my life feels very ordinary right now. How Mm -hmm. is God going to make a difference through my life? What would you say to that person? 
Yeah, I think that there's certain lies that we're prone to believe in today's culture. I know that I am. Um, you know, I, when I talk about or I speak at different places, and I talk about like the lies that I've fought over my life. Uh, you know, one of them is I'm defined by the success and failures of my kids. And one of them is that everyone has to love and accept me. And and the third lie is exactly what you're getting at, is that ordinary is not enough. And, and I can't really argue with it. Like when you read the definition of ordinary, it's like no distinctive or special features. Like not one person in the world wants to be called that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, God calls us out of the ordinary most of the time. Look in the Bible. I mean, people were doing the ordinary when He came along and made it extraordinary. And so I I say that I don't want us to get caught up in this lie that ordinary is not enough, because I think in today's culture, to be outside of ordinary, you feel like you have to have a platform or you have to like um, be doing something you know huge that everyone's going to notice or acknowledge. Um, and, and that's just not really how God works. I mean, think about Jesus. He had 12, right? Like It wasn't like there was some huge platform. He really traveled about 100 miles total of the distance that he went around, like he traveled that 100 over and over and over, right? But it was a total uh, a span of 100 miles. And you think about that and like, okay, like the Lord's working in the small spaces in the ordinary. And, yeah. and, and so I would just encourage you, lean into where he has you at the moment. I, I always pray like, you know, Lord, like just use me right now in the moment where you have me. And if you want something bigger for me, then, uh, then I trust you to open that door. But if not... Let me get comfortable where it is. And I say that way. You and I even talked before, um, having released, uh, you released a book and I'm in the process of releasing a book. It's easy to look on social media and see everyone else that's got bigger opportunities and bigger audiences. And I mean, I think all of us are fighting that in some degree, but, uh, but I do have to go back and say like, the Lord's using the people in the ordinary and that's where we want to be found. We want to be faithful yeah. in our highest place of influence. And it may seem ordinary right now to you, but the Lord will use it. And so um, not, for, not for us to determine. So that's my encouragement, yeah. I guess, but it's hard. I get it. I was even thinking as you were talking about that of one of your chapters where you talk about church hurt and how one of the messiest spaces that we can walk into that, I mean, feels can feel very ordinary is church. And how I feel like right now, so much of our culture wants to run away from that mess. And you are very strong as I am about, no, we need to, we can't withdraw from the church. Like yeah. it, it's a messy place, but it's also a place that brings healing. Can you talk about your experience with church and why you think that's a mess worth fighting for? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a mess worth fighting for because it was important to Jesus, right? Like it's the body mm -hmm. of Christ. And so that's my like standard answer. But at the end of the day, let's, let's setting that aside, we've all been hurt and, and in some way, probably by people from the church, whether it's literally in the building or people that that claim to be believers. And and I, I have to remind myself that I might be someone else's church hurt too. And so like I've got to get a little, a little grace for that, that that I might be on the other side of that um inadvertently, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Um I, I think we get tangled up. We've got to be careful with the church. I think I use this illustration in the book, but talking about like, you know, if you're invited to the White House, irrespective of the president, um, whoever that might be, but you're invited to the White House, and you get the opportunity to go in and walk the halls and hear about all the, the you know, great plans for the country and all of that. But you get there and you're offended by the music at the gate guard's office, right? Like, and you just won't go in because you didn't like the music. Like, like, why would you let that happen? I think that's what happens to us with church. We can get caught up whether... 
were turned off by the music or, or maybe somebody that's on the stage or the people around me or the people in my community group or whatever it is, we're missing out on the bigger picture. If we have this opportunity to meet other people that are trying to do the same thing we are and grow towards the Lord and make Him known, and they're going to get it wrong. And absolutely, we're going to get it wrong. But at the end of the day, we've got to realize like the people of the church are not God. God is God. They're following God. They're, they're hopefully chasing after God, but they aren't God, and, and God is God. And so I always kind of go back to Jonah. I remember like the Lord told him, like, go to Nineveh, and he's like, I'm going to Tarshish. I'm like, no part of that. I'm not doing what you want me to do, right? He's like fleeing the other direction. But the very message that the Lord wanted him to share that he didn't want to was that salvation comes from the Lord. And it's just ironic. Like, um, he didn't want to go share that message. He didn't want these people to be saved, and he went the other direction. And and. He, I need that reminder that he needed. I needed the message. The salvation comes from the Lord. Nobody else, no other place. And so when we give a wrongful position to people, we allow them to become the Lord, or we think the salvation comes from them. It gets sticky. It gets us in trouble. And so I would just encourage us. Yes, there's hard places. Acknowledge them. Um, sometimes we need to sit down and have some tough conversations. Sometimes we need to go to a different place of worship, but it's worth doing. It's worth realizing mm-hmm. that like salvation comes from the Lord. He is what we're pursuing. And this is a means and an avenue, a very critical one of getting us towards Him and people yeah. that are going to build us up. And so I'm a huge believer in church, community, and I just say like fight back at, at everything in you that wants to walk away, fight back at that. Yeah, there's actually, I wanted to read this one section from your book that I thought was really beautiful. You said, so I'll summarize church like this. If you're looking for people who talk weird, go to church. If you're looking for people who sometimes do strange things, go to church. If you're looking for hypocrisy and brokenness, go to church. If you're looking for glimpses of dogma and division, go to church. But also, if you're looking for healing and rest, go to church. If you're looking for mission and renewed purpose, go to church. If you're looking for people who will walk with you in the deepest struggles, go to church. And if you're looking for a casserole topped with cornflakes after your next surgery, go to church. I guess they'll have to read. <laughs> all true. All true yes. from a girl who grew up in the church. We say some weird <laughs> things. We do some weird things. Nothing. You take a, a visitor that hadn't grown up in church to church, and you realize all things. You're like, oh, we're kind of weird out there. But but it works most of the time. And so, yeah. 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 And you know, part of what's beautiful about church is community. And can you talk about how you've, in, in the busyness of being a mom, of being a podcaster, being an author, uh, being a lawyer, all the different roles and hats you've worn in life. Um, how have you prioritized relationships? Because friendship is necessary, but not very convenient often. So how has that looked in your life? Yeah. I mean, I'm, nat- I'm naturally extroverted. And I hate to say that because all the introverts are going to be like, well, that's why. I am naturally very extroverted. So I will say that. But I'm married to an introvert and we um, and we birthed a couple of introverts or they're at least more introverted than I am. And, uh, and so I get asked that question a lot. I enjoy, I'm refueled by being around people. So for me, it's not as hard to really get community around me. I thrive on that. But having watched it with my husband and my kids, I've realized just the intentionality required and that you don't know you need it until you need it. And so you've got to pre-think that. I grew up in a home where my parents had people over all the time. I'm going to age myself, Wade. Literally, when I was growing up, my parents would have people over to watch James Dobson videos back in the day, <laughs> like parenting videos. And, um, and, and it marked me watching my parents who didn't have a ton of money and both worked, didn't have a ton of time, had three kids, but they prioritized having people in their home 
Our house didn't have to be perfect, but they had people over that believed like they did, and, and they made that something that just was part of our life. And so I want that for my kids, and my husband and I have really made a commitment to that, is I want them to see healthy relationships. I want them to see us work through conflict and harder relationships. I want them to see us pursuing the Lord with other people. And so it's just at the end of the day— just becomes a priority. Like you just mm. decide, like, I'm just going to do it. And so what keeps me from doing it becomes the next question. Is it um, the need for everything to look a certain way? Because listen, that is a friendship killer. If if we don't have vulnerability and some authenticity, like that is a friendship killer. So where do we need to let down some guards? And where can we stop obsessing over the things that people really don't care about? How your house looks. I'm speaking as a mom and a female. Is my house clean enough? Do my kids have, are they cleaned up enough? Is, you know, are they making the right decisions. Like at the end of the day, no, my house is never going to be clean enough. My kids are going to get it wrong most of the time. My marriage is going to struggle on occasions. There's going to be all those things. And right in the middle of the things, the very things that want to keep me from allowing people in, that's where I need the people the most. And so I would just encourage you, like, just make it a priority. To, it doesn't have to be some huge movement, like, this is the year 2024. We are going to have community. Like, no, like, just get comfortable with being uncomfortable and invite somebody over. Invite a couple over maybe that you don't know as well or someone you know, I'd like to get to know them better. Sure, you probably have your built-in friends, that's great, but like there's room for people at the table. Like invite other people in, make room for others, for yourself, but for them too. And so I just encourage us just to get out there and do it. Yeah, I mean, you're speaking to an introvert right here and my wife's an introvert. And yeah. I think two of our three kids are introverts as well. Um, and so we are realizing more and more how much we have to, because we always love being with people after we do it. But yeah. it's so easy for us just to stay in our comfortable little bubble at home. And so I think for us, we're being trying to be more and more intentional every month about looking at our calendar and saying, this is a priority for us. And this is the amount of time that we want to spend investing in the relationships that matter, not what we can get out of them, but how can we actually look to invest and build up these relationships? Because when you just go by default, you end up never spending time with people. You just go to what's comfortable, at least for an introvert. Yeah. Um, but I loved how even you talked about, you've got your Wednesday lunch club or whatever you called it mm -hmm. with, I think it's four women or three or something like There's that. There's like five of us. Yeah. They five get together. Yeah. And you meet at Chick-fil-A and that's your thing. And you've done that for years. So I think finding a way to make it part of your routine mm -hmm. uh, is really important, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Yeah, I think it is. And and kind of on a side note too, if, if uh, for many of us listening, it's easy to not focus on the people that are in our corner, we get focused on those that maybe aren't or the friendships we don't have or the groups that are all going to Cabo together. I promise you, Wade, I, I looked at social media. Every person I knew went to some fabulous <laughs> resort somewhere after Christmas, between Christmas and New Year's. I'm like, where'd everybody go? Why am I sitting in Dallas alone? And um, it's easy to get so focused on like, Everybody has their people, but that's not the case. We know that's not the case. The other thing is um, we need to lean into the ones that the Lord has put around us, the people He surrounded us with. And I would just encourage us all to consider that. I, I talk a little bit about this in the book, but just uh, we don't we don't need the quantity. We need the quality of mm -hmm. people around us. And so um, lean into those people that are on your team that are going to believe in your kids when when they're making bad decisions. They're going to believe in your dreams when you don't believe in them. The, the people that are fighting for your marriage when you don't want to fight for it, like those are the 
kind of people, right? Don't worry about everyone else. Like, be kind, stay in harmony as much as you can with other people. But find the ones that are going to circle up with you. Like, those are your people. And and don't worry about the rest. And I think that's been a real, a, a really a really hard place for me in my life. It's easy for me to look at everything else and yeah. be like, well, all these other people, all these things. And I'm like, wait, like I've got these people around me. And so, yeah, just lean into that a little bit too. With relationships, there's always, no relationship is perfect. And we're going to end up hurting somebody that we're friends with, or they're going to end up hurting us. So I think one of the messiest things that we can encounter in life is forgiveness. And you talk about that in the book. And I think it'd be good kind of to land, start to land the plane here of how have you seen the beauty of forgiveness work in your own life? And how have you overcome the hurdles to get there? Yeah. You know, forgiveness is one of those things. I I would love to write a book on forgiveness. I just haven't figured it out yet, right? <laughs> like I'm like somebody, and 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 there's lots of books on that. And I'm so glad people have felt led to speak into that. I think it's so individual and in, um um in everyone's journey. You know, I go back to obviously, you know, the forgiveness I need in my life that the Lord has given me, and and that helps me a little bit. Um, I have to know myself and know that I can struggle with grudges and resentfulness. And so like I have to turn that over to the Lord. And and He knows me. He created me. And so to be like, like you're gonna have to Lord, I, I can't do this, but can you walk me through this? But um the other thing I would say is I I I I have this friend, and if I can tell you just this quick story, but I have this friend who was raising raising her kids, she still is raising her kids, but she um one morning just um knew the Lord told her to teach her little ones. How to dial nine one one, and you know, any of us that have kids are like, well, that's scary because you know, do, you want them to know how to do nine one one, but at the same time, you don't want like the paramedics in your bathroom when you get out of the shower. Like, you don't know with these little kids, you can't trust them. And so she just knew, like, and strong believer, she's like, she tried to go on with her day, and like the Lord was just like, right now, teach them nine one. So she got this dry erase board, and she went in their game room and wrote nine one one, and she had like a five year old and a three year old. Got her phone out, showed them how to dial it, walked them through it, role played, you know, how this all works, what they're going to ask you. Open the door, all that. Well, a couple hours later, she had her first ever massive seizure. And mm. so her children, her daughter, the older one, grabbed the little one, ran to the game room, got that whiteboard that hadn't been erased, brought it back, got her mom's phone, figured out how to call 911, um, answered the questions, opened the door for the paramedics. And, and I think about that story because I, we all have a metaphorical whiteboard. Like the Lord is asking us to do things. He's writing things on our board, things that don't make sense in the moment. Like those little girls could not have understood in the moment. Why is she teaching me this? Like my friend didn't even know why she was teaching it. But it was the life-saving and life-giving information that was needed. And that's who we are in this culture, you guys. We are the light. We have the life-saving and the life-giving information that people need. And if we're hung up and being hurt, we're being uh, we're easily offended, we're, whatever those things are, that's writing a story on our whiteboard we do yeah. not want to write. So that's my encouragement. It's just, yeah, it's hard. And yes, there's places that um, that's going to take maybe some therapy, a lot of other things. But there are some places we need to get over it. And we need to realize, like, the Lord is trying to get a word out. He's writing something on our whiteboards, on our hearts, that the culture and the people around us, our kids desperately need. Like, mm-hmm. let's put our focus on that and let the other stuff go. Yeah. I love that that image and that story. Um, because forgiveness doesn't feel like it makes sense in the moment. Um, but there's, there's something powerful that the Lord will do through it, even if we don't see it for a long time or even in this, this side of eternity, but God will work through it. 
um, because we identify with Christ when we forgive. Um, we are we are most like Christ when we forgive. What would you say to the person who is about to pick up your book? Uh, what is your heart for them? Like, what is the most important thing you want someone to get out of this message? Wow, that's a that's a great question, and um, I would want to say that you are prayed over. I have prayed, and my team has prayed and prayed and prayed over every person that will touch this book, and that the Lord would speak His truth and not mine. So first and foremost, you are prayed over. But I think I would just want everyone reading it just to know that you're not alone. Like life is crazy and it is off script for me too. And it's a mess. And um, I wouldn't have planned a lot of the things the way they have turned out, but I am on the other side of many things now and God is still good. And he, and, and that's hence the title, life is messy, but God is good. And so I would just want to say like, listen, lean into those hard places, lean into the messy off script, look for God, ask Him to be present, and and, and like we just talked about, and then allow Him to write through your life a story that includes you know, a dirty suit, that includes doing the hard things, whether that's foster care, whether that's just taking a casserole across the street. Allow the Lord to do that, and you can do that if you can acknowledge that, yeah, life got hard. It is really messy, but He's still there, and He's present, and He's doing things. And so that's my hope. That's what I hope you get a good laugh. More than anything, I hope you get a good laugh, maybe a little pockets of wisdom in there along the way. But yeah. You're prayed for. I love that. How can people continue to follow you? Obviously, I encourage everyone to buy the book. I love it. I think it will really help you when you read it. But where else can they find you? Social media, podcast, give us all the things. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, um, the book's available all the usual spots, Amazon, everywhere else. And then CynthiaYanoff.com, weird name. Yeah, Y-A-N-O-F, but CynthiaYanoff.com has stuff. I'm on social under that. Um, and my podcast, yeah, Wade's been on it, so y'all need to go listen there. Um, it's called Mesmerized with two S's, like mess. Um, so kind of a play on word, but it's called Mesmerized. And we release there every week too. So yeah, I would love to love to catch up with people. Awesome. Cynthia, thank you for being with us today. It's been a joy getting to know you, getting to hear your story, and I know it's going to continue to bless a lot of people. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me, and I mean it when I say I'm a huge fan of your book, all that you do, and so just great privilege to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today for Dreamers and Disciples. I'd love for you to support the show by subscribing wherever you're watching or listening. So subscribe on YouTube, Apple, or Spotify, and while you're there, leave a review or a comment. It really helps us out when you do that. And please share the show so we can continue to grow the community of Dreamers and Disciples. We'll see you back here next week. Mm